Testing. There we go. We got one, right? Look at that. Look at that. I find that it's, it's helpful to, to screw up in some way at the front end whenever I speak, so the expectations just go really low. And then anything I say after that, it's just, just gravy, right? So that's, that's just a trick, trick of the trade. I just, you know, sharing with you right now. Well, on that note, why don't I, why don't I pray real quick, and then we'll, we'll jump in. And so if you're the praying type, why don't you pray with me? Jesus, I, I just acknowledge my need for you right now. Would you come? Would you fill me, Holy Spirit? Would you fill me, God, with your power? Would you give weight and authority to my words, God? Would you help me to teach this text in a, in a way that glorifies you, that points to you, and that, that honors the, the original intent? Jesus, we love you. I pray that your, your spirit would, would speak to hearts today, God, that you would meet people where they're at, that you would give encouragement where it's needed, that you would give conviction and courage where, where that is needed, God, and that you would, you would speak words that, that would give life to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're, we're currently in the middle of a series that we've, we've called Search and Rescue. And over the course of the series, we've been looking at the story of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19. And in Luke chapter 19, Jesus uttered this famous phrase in, in verse 10. This is what he said. For the Son of Man, that is Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. And when Jesus shared these words, he was, he was tipping his hand regarding the, the central purpose of his mission on earth, that Jesus came to, to save the lost. He came to draw men and women and children to himself, to reconcile them to the Father. That was, that was the central purpose of his mission. I, I, I've come to bring forgiveness, to reconcile people to the Father, and, and ultimately to grant them eternal life. And as the church, as the body of Christ, we've been tasked, of course, with continuing this mission, haven't we? We've been tasked with, with continuing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus went to the cross, receiving the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins, that we might be reconciled to the Father, that we might be, be the recipients of grace and forgiveness that we might receive eternal life. And over the course of this series, we've been stressing the importance of, of following Jesus' lead and sharing our faith with others. Now, today as we discuss the story of Zacchaeus once again, we're going to be discussing a, a central truth to our faith that I, I believe can, can totally change the way that we think about evangelism. A central truth that, that really should reorient the way that we think about sharing our faith. And, and here's the, the central truth. The only way that a man or a woman or a child comes to Jesus looking to him as the source of their salvation is when the Holy Spirit of God compels them to come. There there is no compelling argument. There's no engaging presentation. There's no sales pitch that that I could give, that you could give, that any other pastor could give that that would compel someone, that would, would cause someone to become a follower of Jesus. The only way someone becomes a follower of Jesus, the only way that someone would believe that 2,000 years ago there was a, a literal man who was fully God, fully man, who died on a cross to forgive us of our sins, the only way that happens 
is when the Spirit of God is at work in someone's life and, and changing their heart. It is God alone who saves. It is God alone who draws people to himself. There's no argument I could give, you know, no amount of charisma that, that any pastor could have that would cause someone to become a follower of Jesus for the long haul. And we see this clearly in our boy Zacchaeus in, in Luke chapter 19. And so let's turn there now. Let's look at Luke 19 verse 1. This is what we read. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, as I just shared a minute ago, a central truth of our faith is that God alone saves. And so how how do we know that that the Holy Spirit was was drawing people, was drawing Zacchaeus, rather, in this story? How how do we know that that it was God that was doing the work? Well, we're given a couple of clues. Number one, Zacchaeus was unable to see over the crowd and so was willing to climb up a tree in order to see Jesus as he past. And, and this wasn't because, you know, Zacchaeus had a whimsical personality, right? It wasn't because he was just the, the fun uncle type who just liked to do crazy things. Like there's, you know, crazy uncle Zacchaeus again climbing a tree. It's just not, not how he rolled. I mean, he was an extortionist who shook down his own people. We talked about this in, in the last couple of weeks. Shook down his own people, taking money from them, and then giving that money over to the Romans. This is not like he worked for the IRS here. This this was an extortionist, and, and what he did is he, he overcharged them, of course, and then he skimmed off that top and, and made himself rich as a result. So, so Zacchaeus isn't just climbing trees because, you know, he just, just is full of whimsy and, and, and joy. And, and let, me, let me speak into this situation from personal experience. Since as Pastor Tom noted a, a couple weeks ago, I am well qualified to speak about Zacchaeus' lack of stature. Let me, let me give you a little personal insight here. Short men, we, we don't like calling attention to the fact that we're short, right? I, I mean, that's just, we, we don't like calling attention to it. I, I hate clothes that are too big for me. I, I just hate it because I, I kind of feel like an eight-year-old boy at that point, right? We're just going to do a little therapy together right now, so should have just a couch shot here, right? I mean, the, the reason my, my pants are like three inches too short is because I, I don't want to wear clothes that are too big for me. And that's just the thing. I don't want to call attention to the fact that I'm, you know, not an offensive lineman. And, and so there's no way that Zacchaeus, who would have been a proud man, a wealthy man, a powerful man, would have opened himself up to the kind of ridicule that you would receive as a short man in climbing a tree uh, unless there was something internally that was going on, Right? The reason and the only reason that Zacchaeus was climbing this tree was because the Holy Spirit was drawing him to Jesus. That there was this yearning, this longing that was awakened in him. 
So that when he was told that this pro- prophet Jesus was, was coming into the town of Jericho, that there was something within him that said, I, I, I just have to see this man. I, I just have to lay eyes on this man. There was something going on internally with him, whether he could articulate it or not, that said, I, I just have to see this man. There was something inside him saying, I, I, I believe that this could potentially be life-changing. That's the only way a powerful wealthy, prideful man would climb a tree in view of the rest of his city. He was compelled by the Holy Spirit. And and secondly, we know that the Holy Spirit was drawing Zacchaeus to Jesus because the Holy Spirit gives Jesus a prophetic word about Zacchaeus before Jesus ever saw him. You know, it's easy to think of Jesus a, a bit like Superman, that, that stuff happens when he's around just because he's God and just zaps people, and that's, that's how it goes. But that's not the case at all. When Jesus came to this earth, as I said earlier, he came both fully man and, and fully God. He stripped himself or divested himself of some of his divine attributes in, in order to, to model for us, in part, in order to model for us what it looks like to be reliant on the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus was healing people, it wasn't just because he was God and could say, you know, bam, you're, you're healed. It was because he was partnering with the Holy Spirit in the same way that we're called to partner with the Holy Spirit today. He's modeling for us what it looks like to hear from the Spirit of God and to pray for someone and see them healed through the Spirit's working in him. And when he received prophetic words for other people, it wasn't just because he was God and he knows everything and so therefore he knows all their life story. He modeled for us what it looks like to hear from the Spirit of God and then speak words of encouragement and life into other people. And so as Jesus walks into to Jericho, he, he knows that he is supposed to engage a, a man named Zacchaeus who is sitting in a tree, not because they're old college buddies, but because the Holy Spirit of God spoke to Jesus and said, this is a man who I'm pursuing. This is a man that I, I want you to engage Holy Spirit is just clearly drawing Zacchaeus to Jesus in Luke chapter 19. And listen, this is, this is the reality. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, I, I understand that's not all of us, and, and if that's not you, we're glad you're here. But if you're here and you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, one day after you die, you are going to stand before your Father in heaven. And if your Father in heaven says to you, why are you following me? Or or why are you a follower of Jesus? None of us in that moment are going to say to our Father in heaven, well, you know what? It was just because I I had just a bit more internal or inherent righteousness than the people around me, right? There was just this innate righteousness and and desire for goodness that led me to you. None of us are going to say that. None of us are going to say that as we stand before a holy God and he asks you, why are you a follower of Jesus and not your, your sibling? Why are you a follower of Jesus and not your parent? Why are you a follower of Jesus and not your spouse or, or not your, your neighbor or not your coworker? All of us in that moment are simply going to say before God the Father, because you drew me in. Because you pursued me when I wanted nothing to do with you. That, that's true of you who grew up in a Christian home. That's true of us who didn't grow up in a Christian home. All of us, as we see our Father in heaven, our only response is going to be, because you drew me to yourself. The only reason that a man or a woman or a child comes to know Jesus is because the Spirit of God is working in their life is because they're being pursued by the Father. It is God alone who saves and draws 
men and women to himself. Now, I, I understand that for most of us, many of us, perhaps, th- this is not new material, right? You've been around the church for a while. This isn't new to you. This, this isn't a new thought. For most of us, this is review. But I, I wanted to stress here on the front end the, this truth because this should affect the way that we share our faith. This truth that God alone saves, that God does the heavy lifting, that God does the work, this should inform the way that we evangelize, the way that we talk to other people about Jesus. And so I I want to spend the rest of our time just briefly discussing two ways that this truth, that God alone saves, two ways that this should inform our evangelism. So let's, let's jump in. Number one, the, the truth that God alone saves, it moves us from a place of pressure to a place of partnership. This truth that God alone says, it brings us from this place of, of pressure, of anxiety, feeling like it's up to us to convince people, to argue people into the kingdom, and it moves us from that place into a place of, of partnering with God. You know, anyone who's here and a follower of Jesus knows that there can be a tremendous amount of pressure when, when you're trying to to share your faith with someone. I, I don't know if you've ever tried. I don't know if you've ever been, you know, at a coffee shop and tried it with a stranger or maybe tried it with a, a roommate. It, it can get awkward. It, it, can, it can be hard. There's a lot of pressure in that, isn't there? And so, so I, I know what it's like to be in one of those moments and feel like, okay, I got to remember the little diagram that I'm supposed to draw and I got to remember the right scripture verses and I got to remember the right rebuttals to come up with if, if they introduce this question or that one. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety that can, can happen within us when we're trying as best we can to share our faith. But, but I, I don't believe that this is the way that Jesus modeled evangelism at all. As Jesus rode into Jericho, I I believe that there was one central prayer that was on his heart, and and that is, Father, what what are you doing here? Where are you on the move? How how can I partner with you? I I don't think Jesus was thinking through diagrams in his head. I I think he was thinking through, God, where are you already on the move? Who are you you pursuing right now? where can I get in on that? And on the road to Jericho, of course, the father speaks to Jesus and shows him that he's pursuing a rather unlikely character, this man named Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector. And this is a way that we too can continue to partner with the father today. We, we too can simply ask when we're brewing coffee in the morning or, or, or spreading butter on our toast, God, what are you doing around me today? Who, who are the people uh, around me that, that you're pursuing, that you want to reach, that that you're working on. Is there, is there any, anything I can do today, God, that would allow me to, to partner with you? Around 17 years ago, in a little town outside Marion, Ohio, there was a, a young married couple in their young 30s, in their low 30s, and uh, he was a pastor and she was a pharmacist, and they began praying this very prayer. God, what are you doing around me? What are you doing around us, God? What, how do you want us to partner with you? And, and they felt like the Lord highlighted the 16-year-old young gal who was kind of periodically showing up at the youth group that this pastor led. She, she wasn't part of a Christian family. She wasn't a Christian herself. But every so often, her, her friends would just kind of drag, that, drag her to you know, youth group events. And, and they felt like the Lord began to, to really highlight her in their prayers. And, and finally, they got to a place where they actually, d- despite the fact that they 
didn't have a great relationship with her, barely knew her. They felt like God was actually asking them to invite this young girl to, to live with them, you know, which can be a bit of an awkward conversation. So eventually they, they sheepishly approached her and said, hey, would you want to, to live with us? And, and she said, she said, not really, no, no. She had a lot of freedom at home, there were, there, you know, and so she, no, I, I don't want to live with, you know, this pastor guy I barely know and his wife. Sounds awful. And, and so they said, okay, well, and they just continued to pray and continued to ask the Lord what, what he wanted to do. And a few months later, as it turned out, this young girl, her, her mom decided to move out of the state on a bit of a whim. And her dad was already moving out of the state. And so in this desperate kind of attempt to stay in the city, this girl approached this pastor and his wife and said, can I move in with you now? And they said, sure. So the 16-year-old girl moves in with this, with this pastor and, and his wife who are in their young 30s. And, and, and over a series of months, this young girl's life just begins to change. She, she had essentially dropped out of school her sophomore year of high school, really hadn't attended school for a year, and so was a year behind uh, everybody else. And, and this, this young couple helped her get, get back on track. They helped her um, take some summer classes, and eventually she was able to, to get back on track and graduate on time after missing an entire year of school and, and even enroll in college right out of high school. And, and not only that, but more importantly, they began to patiently, graciously share their faith and their, their hope in Jesus with her. And they listened to her as she asked question after question after question. And, and about six months into her stay with them, she she gave her, her life to the Lord. At 17, she became a follower of Jesus, and, and the trajectory of her life just completely changed. From being the sophomore, who's just not even in, in school, making all kinds of, of terrible decisions to, to a follower of Jesus who's getting her life back on track. And, and, and I, I know that story well, because that's, that's the story of, of my wife, Celeste. She was that 16-year-old girl and, and, and as I reflect on that story, I am just overwhelmed with gratitude that this couple in their young 30s is just simply praying, God, how do you want us to, to use, how, how do you want to use us? And, and they, they totally changed the trajectory of, of my wife's life, and not only her life, but everybody around her, that my son is living a different life now, and, and his kids are living a different life after that, that because... Because this one couple said, God, what are you doing around us? How can we partner with you? And so some of you might be saying right now, look, man, I, I am not an evangelist. And I'm glad you guys are doing this, this series and search and rescue. You know, that's kind of cute or whatever. I mean, but like, and I want to see people come to know Jesus, but like, this is not me. Some of you might be saying that right now. Like, this is just not how I'm wired. This isn't, this isn't what I do. I, I'm, not, I'm not ever going to be the type that just walks around telling people about Jesus, you know, wearing, you know, a huge John 3.16 shirt. And, and that's fine. And, and perhaps the Lord isn't asking you to be that person. But perhaps the Lord is simply asking you to, to begin coming before him each day and, and simply asking God, what are baby steps that I can take right now to partner with you in the lives of people around me? How can I encourage other people? How can I point them to you? God wants to use you right now in your current context, wherever you find yourself, 
as, as he pursues people around you because he's always at work. He's always got his hand in something. And, and listen to me, guys, because this is really important. Perhaps the reason that you're in your current position, perhaps the reason you're, you're living with your in-laws still, even though you don't want to be, perhaps the reason you're still in school, even though you were hoping to get out a year and a half ago, perhaps the reason you're still in a job that you really don't like, been trying to get out of for years, is because the Lord wants to strategically place you near someone that he's trying to reach. Per- perhaps that's it. Perhaps you've been sent on mission by God and, and you didn't even realize it. And so you, you keep praying and asking God to move. You keep praying and asking for breakthrough. Saying, God, get me out of here. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. Get me out of this job. Get me out of this squad. I want to keep attending physical rehab twice a week or whatever, whatever you've got going on. When, when the reality is you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And you keep praying and asking God to move. And he, he's just waiting for that time when you say, okay, God, what are you doing? And how can you use me in this current place? You know, when, when, when you're going through seasons of, of unanswered prayer and struggle and pain, it, it is perfectly healthy and normal to begin by saying why. To begin by saying, how long do I have to put up with this? But, but eventually, the, the Lord is going to want to move us to a place where we're also praying, God, okay, I understand this isn't where I want to be 10 years from now. It's not where I want to be 10 months from now. But if this is where you have me right now, how can you move, use me in this current context? And, and I, I just wonder what would happen in your life and my life if we just began people who, who became comfortable praying that kind of prayer instead of just how long, God, or why. God is always at work in our midst, and when we're willing to partner with him, when we're willing to be open to his invitations, we'll, we'll find that he, he's just going to show up in all sorts of unexpected ways. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I shared this story at our, our Sunday night series, but I, I think it's worth sharing again. And by the way, just as an aside, we're, we're continuing our, our Sunday night series through the book of Colossians. And so we're going to be meeting tonight at 6 and the next week at 6 to cap it off. And so if you haven't had a chance to come out yet, Sunday night, 6 p.m., you, you, should, you should come out. It's free. And uh, my mom told me it was really good. So, you know, <laughs> there's that. But I shared this story a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's worth mentioning again. Some of you are familiar with a, a man by the name of Lee Strobel. He wrote uh, a few popular books, The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith and Case for a whole bunch of other things. And, and uh, he, he shared a story of one time he was at a conference, and a, a man approached him, and a, and a man said to him, Lee, I'm so glad I got to see you. I, I wanted you to know, 10 years ago, when you were working at the Chicago Tribune, you shared your faith, and I gave my life to the Lord. And so Lee was a bit taken aback because, he, in all honesty, he didn't remember the man. And in fact, as he looked back to 10 years prior when he was a, a reporter at the Chicago Tribune, he, he could only remember a couple of times where he had explicitly shared his faith with a coworker, And the only, the only memory he had in his mind was of a time when he was just eating his lunch, normal, average, ordinary day, and he felt like the Lord impressed upon his heart that, that he was supposed to go back to his office and, and share what Jesus had done in his life with one of his coworkers. So he, he remembered finishing his Subway sandwich or whatever he was working on, 
And he went back, and he remembered approaching one of his colleagues' desks and saying to him, Hey, Bill, do you, do you mind if I just take a couple minutes to share what Jesus has done in my life? And his coworker kind of looked around and said, Yeah, sure. And, and so Lee spent just a couple minutes just walking through the way in which Jesus had brought restoration and wholeness and peace into his life. And at the end of his, his little spiel, his, his co-worker said, well, you know, Lee, thanks for sharing. And Lee kind of just walked off awkwardly like you do and said, you know, God, I, I, I hope in some way you use what I, I just shared. But that was really the only time he could ever remember explicitly sharing his faith and at the Tribune. And so finally, he says to this guy 10 years later at the conference, look, man, I, I'm really sorry, but I, I don't remember you. I don't remember working with you. I think you got the wrong guy. And the guy said to him, no, no, no you, you don't understand. You see, I, I didn't work at the Tribune. I, I, I'm a carpet layer. I lay carpet by trade. And 10 years ago, I was at the Chicago Tribune, and I, I, was, I was laying carpet in, in the offices. And I was behind a gentleman's desk laying some carpet, and you walked over to him, and you asked if you could share what Jesus had done in your life. And so as I, I was laying carpet behind this gentleman's desk, just out of your eyesight, I, I heard what you said, and I knew in that moment that I needed to give my life to Jesus. And so 10 years ago, as you shared with your coworker, in that spot, I gave my life to the Lord. I, I, I love that story because I, I feel like it highlights for us just a... Just a beautiful truth that when we start asking God, what are you doing in, in my midst? What, what are you doing in the lives of people around me? How can I make myself available to partner with you? We, we start seeing God show up in all sorts of different ways. And it is not dependent on us. I mean, Lee didn't even know the, the, the person that he was talking to in that moment, right? God does the heavy lifting. God draws men and women to himself. But when we're willing to just be available we'll find that God is more than willing to, to show up. Evangelism, it was never meant to be this anxiety-inducing, pressure-filled obligation that it has become for so many of us. Simply called to partner with our Father as He does the heavy lifting and as He draws people to Himself. And so again, I, I think the word of the day for us should just be baby steps. Baby steps. What are the baby steps that you can take right now you know, as you're brewing your coffee in the morning to, to start partnering with God and working to build his kingdom. You know, perhaps the Lord might just put it on your heart that there's someone who sits in the break room every day at work and eats their lunch by themselves. And, and perhaps the Lord might say, you know what, why don't you just start eating with this guy? Why don't you just start trying to make conversation with him during lunch? Or maybe you have a friend that is really struggling financially, and the Lord might put it on your heart. You know, why don't you just offer to pay their utilities this month? Just an easy win in a way that you can say, look, I know that you're struggling financially, but as I was praying, I felt like the Lord told me to pay for you, your utilities. And I want you to know that, that the Lord loves you, and he cares for you, and I care about you. And I, I just wanted to help out. I know it's not everything, but it's hopefully, hopefully it's a help. Maybe you've been at, at work for 12 years sitting directly next to someone. And, and this might be the time where the Lord might, might say, well, why don't you invite this person to church? You know, you've been working with them for 12 years. And the next time they say, hey, what are you doing this weekend? You can say, well, I'm actually going to church with my family. You know, we would love for it if you would want to come with us. 
Just baby steps. God, how can I partner with you? What are you doing in the lives of people around me? How can I get in on that? The truth that God alone saves, it moves us from this place of pressure, of anxiety-inducing obligation to a place of partnership. And then secondly, my last point here, and I'll be done. The truth that God alone saves, it moves us from a place of passivity to a place of prayer. Moves us from a place of passivity to a place of prayer. You know, it's so easy in our current culture to to examine our, our cultural landscape and just be simply overwhelmed by the sheer need in our world today, right? And simply by, by understanding the sheer need around us, this reality can be paralyzing. It can just lead us to a place of passivity where we just find ourselves not really doing anything. But as we reflect on this truth that God is the one who saves, that God is the one who draws men and women to himself, we're emboldened, we're emboldened as we remember that nothing is too powerful or too strong for the Lord. That there is no person that is too far gone. No person who is too cynical or too crass or or too jealous or too angry or too depressed or too judgmental to to find their way into the love of of Jesus when when he begins pursuing them, when he makes up his mind that, that he's headed after them. There is no one who is too far gone. And as we reflect on this truth that this newfound confidence that we have, it leads us to a place of prayer. I've mentioned before that one of my heroes is a, a man named George Mueller. There's an amazing biography about his life. It's called Delighting in God. You should read it. I'll probably ask you to read it for Christmas. <laughs> That'll be your Christmas present to me. But George was a, a really interesting guy. He was a pastor in the 19th century and in Bristol, England, and uh, he, he became famous because he oversaw a, a huge orphanage, thousands of children, and, and he oversaw this orphanage without ever asking explicitly for any money, that he, he paid for the needs of the children and the workers, thousands of children over decades, without ever explicitly asking for money, and he did it simply by prayer. He committed before he set out, before the orphanage was established, that that he, by prayer, was going to prove that, that God is a God who hears the prayers of his people. So prayer played a really important role in our, our boy George's life. And, and uh, in November of 1844, Mueller began praying for, for the conversion of five individuals, five friends that... He knew that they didn't know the Lord, and, and he understood that it is God alone that saves, that, that he couldn't convince them, that he couldn't argue their, their salvation into being. He, he, of course, he lovingly and warmly shared the gospel with them, but he understood that if these five friends were going to come to know Jesus, that, that the Lord had to do something, the Lord had to move. And, and so in, in November of 1844, he, he began praying for these five friends, Prayed every day, not, not praying for 10 hours a day, but just every day before the Father, I bring these five people to you. And after 18 months of praying every day, his, his first friend became a follower of Jesus. So then he, he kept praying for the other four. And after five years of, of praying for, for these four individuals 
the, the next individual became a follower of Jesus. So he prays six more years, and finally, after 11 years of praying, his third friend becomes a follower of Jesus. Every day for 11 years, he's praying for these, these individuals. And 11 years of praying, sees someone come to know Jesus. But here, here's where it gets a little... Here's where it gets a little wacky. For the next 29 years, he prays for his two friends, and neither of them comes to know the Lord. I mean, can you imagine 29 years of praying every day, every day when it's raining, when it's, when it's sunny out, when you're tired, when you have energy, when you're sick, when you're healthy. Every day for 29 years, he prays. And finally, 40 years after he began praying for, for these five friends, Right before George Mueller died, his fourth friend became a follower of Jesus. Been praying 14,600 days for these five friends. I'm an English major, and so I I did that on a calculator. That's good math right there. (laughs) And then finally, after after passing away, of course, his, his fifth friend decided to give their life to the Lord. And so George didn't see it in his lifetime, but he saw it certainly in heaven. 14,600 days he was willing to pray for these five individuals, just believing, believing that God alone saves them, believing that no one is too far gone. Listen, there, there are many of us who've been praying for loved ones, praying for, for a child of yours, praying for a sibling of yours, praying for a a parent of yours for, for years, for years, that they would come back to know Jesus or that they would, they would give their life to Jesus for the first time. And I, I believe that the Lord wants to offer just some fresh invitations to some of us day to, today to, to begin praying anew for these loved ones in the belief that it is God alone that saves. And when the God of the universe, the King of the universe, sets his heart on pursuing someone that that there is nothing that is too strong for the Lord. And so I, I believe that today God wants to encourage some of us to just begin praying afresh. Maybe you've prayed for, for years, but it's been pretty irregular. Or you have these moments in which you're really on fire to pray for them, and then that kind of wanes after a while. Perhaps the Lord is, is encouraging you to say, you know what, this is just a hill I'm going to die on. Every day I'm going to pray for this individual. Pray for these people. Or, or maybe the Lord might put it on your heart. You know, every day moving forward, I'm going to pray for the people in my apartment complex. I'm going to pray for my coworkers, believing that, that nothing is too strong for the Lord. When we understand that it is God's work to, to save, we're, we're, we're brought from a place of passivity, just paralysis, just overwhelmed by the need around us. And we're brought from that place to a place of prayer, when we're willing to buckle down and say, okay, God, I'm going to die on this hill. I'm going to pray for my brother. I'm going to pray for my daughter. I'm going to pray for my mom until the day I die, until, until I see breakthrough. <laughs> why, don't, why don't we stand, church? Why don't we stand now? I'm going to invite the band back up. Here's what I want to do. We're going to get out of here soon, but uh, I, I do want to give some of us a chance to respond. There's a couple groups that I would love to, to come forward for, for prayer. 
And the, the first group I would love to come forward for prayer would be those of us who would say, you know what, I, I kind of fall in that category where I, I'm just not an evangelist. Don't see myself that way. Don't ever, get, don't ever think I'm going to be the guy, you know, handing out tracts or telling all his coworkers about Jesus. That's, that just feels like it ain't going to happen. But perhaps you, you were a bit stirred today, and, and perhaps the Lord might be inviting you to to just begin taking some baby steps. Just begin praying while you're brewing coffee in the morning. God, how, how might I partner with you today? How, how might I encourage someone today? And, and if that's where you're at, we would love to pray for you. We would love to pray that God would, would give you the courage and the boldness and the, the resolve to to really begin to take some baby steps here. God, I, I want to be used. That I, I believe that I am in my current context, whether I like that context or not, because you've strategically placed me here as a believer. And, and so if, if that's where you're at, if, you're, if you would be willing to say, God, I, I just I want to take some baby steps with you. I, I want to be a part of a, a story, like some of the stories I, I heard today, then we want to pray for you. And, and then secondly, I would love to pray for those who... You've been praying for someone for years, like, like George Mueller. Been praying for a family member, a friend, even a spouse for, for years. And we want to pray that God would continue to, to give you the resolve and, and the courage to just keep pressing in, keep pressing in, keep pressing in. Or, or maybe that, that the Lord might, might just put it on your heart to... Um, start afresh. I, I just had a sense, you know, we don't always hear from the Lord perfectly, and so this might be the, the protein bar I just ate, but I, I feel like there's somebody here, and you have someone close to you that you haven't been praying for, because honestly, you're just, you still got some bitterness there. And you know, one of the ways that we test our hearts, one of the ways that we examine our hearts and, and know that we've gotten over something or forgiven someone is, is when we, we can regularly pray for someone. So I feel like there, there's someone here, and I really, this might not be of the Lord, but I feel like it's with a parent. And, and if you're honest, you just struggle to pray for this parent because you're, you're just angry. And, and I feel like the Lord wants to address that as well. And so if you have someone in your life that you're just like, I can't pray for them, we want you, we want you freed from that, from that unforgiveness. We want you freed up to begin praying blessing over them. They don't deserve blessing just like you don't deserve blessing, but that's the, that's the message of grace. And then lastly, just really briefly, and, and by the way, why don't we have our prayer team begin to make their way to both sides of the room? If you're on our prayer team, you've been trained to pray, why don't you head to both sides of the room? But lastly, you, you might be someone here who's like, all this talk about sharing our, our faith is, is kind of over my head because if I'm honest, I, I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus. And, and if that's where you're at, we, we want to pray with you today. You know, we're not going to make you come forward and make you sing happy birthday or anything like that. We, we just want to pray for you. That there are times... There are times when, when the Holy Spirit just begins to, to work in people's hearts, begins to, to open up a, a new level of yearning, of longing, compelling us to, to come to Jesus. And I, I believe that 
that the Lord's doing that in some of our hearts today. And so even if you don't understand what that phrasing means, come to Jesus, almost fell there. We want to pray for you. We want to help you take the next step. So if any of those groups relate to you, if you want prayer for anything, we want to pray. And so I'm just going to invite you as we sing this last song to, to begin coming forward and receiving some prayer. You want to grow in evangelism. You have someone you've been praying for for years. You want to make a personal commitment to Jesus. We want to pray for you. All right, so why don't you begin to come forward now and the rest of us, let's sing one last worship song.